You see, for those of you who may come from a, um, another church tradition or church background where um, Palm Sunday and a lot of the events around Easter um, have been celebrated in maybe more of a significant way, um, you might recall you know, that there's quite a lot of procedures and sometimes a lot of what some people might term a lot of fanfare around um, the celebration of, um, of Easter. In fact, in some cultures and in some countries, you know, it is quite dramatic, you know, um, it is quite animated, you know, there, there, there's a lot that is often involved in it. But, you know, if you might just indulge me for a minute, you know, as I talk about some of these things, you know, because I, I actually appreciate often a lot of the traditions um, that do go around these, these celebrations because, you know, while tradition can on the one hand be um, a dangerous thing, you know, it can sometimes replace um, the very reality of things that we celebrate. But sometimes it does, I believe, as a, as a good reminder um, of things that we can often forget. So, you know, in certain traditions, in certain Christian traditions, um, Palm Sunday actually draws to the an end a period of what is celebrated as Lent. Um, and so if, if you're familiar with the Christian calendar, um, you will know that Lent normally starts with the celebration of what is called Ash Wednesday, um, where people will go to church in a special service, um, and then the religious leader, the, the priest, will take some ashes um, and maybe mark um, the foreheads with a sign of a cross with those, with those ashes. You know, as people begin to prepare for the season of Lent in which they will normally give up something, as they say, because it's normally a period of, some, um, of, of fasting, you know, where, where people will say, you know, as they prepare themselves to remember that Jesus had given up his life, as a sacrifice for us, they maybe also want to give up something, you know, give up food, you know, in, in a sense of fasting, um, give up social media, um, or give up something, you know, that they normally take for, for, for granted. But it's all about this preparation, this period of preparing one's heart, preparing one's mind to, to be focused upon um, this period, this weekend that we, that we are preparing for in which we think about the suffering of Jesus, in which we think about what we refer to this week as, as Passion Week. But Palm Sunday is that Sunday, you know, that in many churches are marked by um, the celebration of bringing palm leaves, you know, which were quite indigenous, um, and still is quite indigenous to um, um, the, the, the Middle you know, particularly a city like, 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 like Jerusalem. And so people would, would bring palms in and they would wave palm leaves around, you know, because the waving of palm leaves was a, a symbol of victory, a symbol of celebration, you know, because for, for people living in Jerusalem, and even so today, you know, it is all about making sure that one remembers all of the celebrations, all of those festivals, you know, that was stipulated in the Old Testament. For example, you read Leviticus chapter 23. You know, there's a command to make sure that one celebrates, particularly Passover, you know, because that is um, what is um, the focal point of Easter. You know, it is tying up the, the history of the Old Testament um, in bringing meaning, bringing fulfillment 
to what the, the, the Passover celebration was, was actually all about. Um, and so those, those palm leaves would be waved, and there would sometimes be processions you know, in, in some of these churches. And some people would take some of those palm leaves and they would fashion it into little crosses that they would carry, that they would display in their homes. And then those crosses at the end of, this, of, of that service, of that they go into Easter, they would burn it. And that ashes would be preserved and kept next year's um, um, Ash Wednesday service. So, so, so we, we do not actually celebrate that. You know, I think the closest we get to that even this morning are a few delicious monster plants over here. But you know, in your mind's eye, you know, they kind of look like palm leaves. You know? So yes, it is, it, is, it is Palm Sunday. But here we are. The year 2021. And the question that we sometimes need to ask ourselves is, you know, um, what do we make of all of this? You know, now for us as Christians, as us as believers in Jesus, um, who acknowledge and who celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus, you know, for us it makes sense. But for the vast majority of people out there, you know, what are they to make, you know, of this time that we call Easter? You know, I sense in which for them it all seems so foolish. Jesus, the Son of God, you say, riding into Jerusalem, seated on a donkey? Indeed, when one looks at that through a secular mindset, you know, through secular eyes, it does all seem foolish. Why bother? You know, for them it might be, yes, oh, well, it's just an a excuse you know, to, to, to have a nice long weekend, a nice holiday. You know, it maybe is a time for a lot of the um, chocolate um, manufacturers to say, you know, here's a time for us to make some money, you know, because we're now going to be focusing upon Easter eggs, you know, because the world is mad with Easter eggs, you know. And so there's all this kind of religious mumbo-jumbo for, for, for many people. And I can understand, you know, that as... A celebration like Easter, you know, gets kind of crowded by all of um, the celebrations, you know, and sometimes by all of what some people see as the religious mumbo-jumbo. I can understand why it is for, for some people that Jesus, at Christmas time, gets placed alongside Santa Claus, and how they see Easter time Jesus being placed the Easter bunny, so that every other day of their lives, Jesus is placed alongside the tooth fairy. And so I can, I can almost understand how what we take so for granted and what we celebrate, how Jesus can sometimes be seen as foolish. How the worship of Jesus for some people can be seen as that as Paul say, you know, as something that is no longer relevant. Indeed, we are living in times in which there is this, this kind of rise, this vocal opposition to, you know, take um, very dear as of Easter. Some people see it as, as being foolish, you know, and, and you have some very for example, you know, that raise their voices, you know, and they say, you know, why must the rest of the world kind of be forced into what we are celebrating, you know, when it is all foolish? In fact, one of these 
to these um, well-known atheists, you know, in a book um, that, that, he in, in, uh, that, that he entitled The God Delusion, stated it when one person suffers from delusion, it's called insanity. When many people suffer from delusion, it is called religion. But that is what he's got to say. And this morning, you know, I would not just want to respectfully and vehemently disagree with him, but I do think, you know, that we are living in times in which sometimes we need to realize that that is the way in which people view us, the way in which people view Jesus, and the way in which people view the way in which we celebrate what was, when you look at it once again through secular eyes, almost seemed like a ridiculous thing to do. How could one man put himself through such suffering? How could one man allow himself to go through the most terrible suffering, dying on a cross, and say that he was doing that so that others might live? Indeed, it all looks foolish. It all looks ridiculous. Was Jesus a madman? Was Jesus misguided? See, if he was neither a, ma a madman or, or misguided, then he has to be the third alternative, and that is a Messiah. So we, we, we read some Bible passages that speaks about the event that we remember today, Palm Sunday. I reflect on Matthew's version of that story, that event, um, as it is recorded in Matthew chapter 21. A story that I'm not going to read again, a story that we know well. But you see, as we know Jesus very well from the Bible, especially within the gospel accounts, as one who spoke in parables, we must also not miss the fact that not just speaking in parables, but Jesus would sometimes, what I would like to refer to and others have referred to as, that Jesus sometimes would enact parables. And I see Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, Jesus' triumphal entry as we call it, as an enacted parable. An enacted parable based upon what? Well, based upon scriptures. Because we know that at this time, there was the heightened expectation there was this awareness. There was this look forward to Messiah. There was this, this hope that God would send a great warrior into their presence. And that this great warrior would come and overthrow the Romans, as it were. Um, this, this oppressor that they were experiencing. And that, that the Old Testament Scriptures had prophesied about Isaiah, Zechariah, and many of the prophets um, whom they had spoken to. They were waiting for the person, for the one who would fulfill all of that prophecies. And some of them knew it, but the vast majority of the crowd unfortunately did not understand it. That as they were, once every year, preparing for the Passover, for this great pilgrim feast. And as people would anticipate, 
you know, as we do in Cape Town um, um, every summer, you know, anticipating people coming from all over South Africa to come and worship the sun, you know, on our beaches over here. Um, you know, we, we know that there are seasons in which that happened. And so that would be the season leading up to the Passover when they would anticipate the great crowds. Jews would come from the villages. They would come from the surrounding areas. In fact, they would come from all over the world, you know, from what, was, what we term as the Jewish diaspora. They would make their way to the city of Jerusalem um, to go up to the temple to go and prepare themselves for their Passover. And so all of this was a time of great celebration, a great anticipation. And so as the crowds would make their way through the streets of Jerusalem, and they would follow a particular path, you know, um, as part of this messianic expectation, the procession would start from the Mount of Olives, because that is what the prophets had said, you know, that Messiah would come from, um, would enter into the city from the Mount of Olives, and they would they would gather along the road, and just as they would do in the days that they had kings, they would gather in the procession. They would remove their clothes, um, their outer garments. They would lay it out so that the pilgrims could, um, could 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 walk on it. They would shout. They would sing great songs of victory, songs like Psalm. 118 verse 25 to 26 you know they would scream out hosanna that word hosanna which was a shout of praise and victory was actually also a cry for deliverance because the word hosanna actually means please save us now because that was the expectation of the king that the king would be the one who would save them who would deliver them and how the Messiah would be the one who would deliver them and who would save them from the oppressors and from the, and from the Romans. And so that's what they would do. They would gather along the streets and they would wave their palm leaves, screaming, shouting, Hosanna. It was custom that they would walk. But there would only be one person. A person in authority who would enter into the city when he was being coronated as king, riding upon a stallion, riding upon a horse. But you see, here were the crowds, screaming out in great anticipation, screaming out in great jubilation, screaming Hosanna, hoping that maybe one day there would be a king. The king that day did ride into Jerusalem, but not on a stallion. And not just to fulfill prophecy that he would be riding on a donkey. But you see, it was actually a symbol. It was a sign that communicated a very, very strong message to both the political leaders as well as the religious leaders of the day. You see, as we as we've listened to the readings this morning, you just need to think about the reaction, not just of the crowd, who were there just doing what they would normally do. And amongst the crowd, there were those who did recognize. Because that's what Matthew's gospel tells us. The people asked the question, who is this? When they saw all of a sudden, amongst the crowd, there's one person 
who was coming into the city seated on a donkey. Many people would have understood, would have recognized that this was Jesus, because for them he was the Messiah. Others within the crowd did not understand that. But you see, the Romans would have been watching. And we know that the religious leaders, they were also watching. Because the Pharisees commented. Because when they saw it, they understood. You see, Jesus in doing that was speaking to the religious leaders of the day. He knew that according to the prophet, the Messiah would enter into the city riding on a humble beast of burden. And so here Jesus was consciously enacting that, and they got the message. See, the Romans were very fearful. Always expected, and they always anticipated that there would be a rebellion. In fact, it was well known for um, rebellion um, to break out during times of, of celebration, you know, because that that is quite normal, that is quite natural, you know, during times of national celebrations, you know, there is this kind of nationalistic that, 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 that often overcomes people. You know, we see this, you know, and in South Africa that only happens, you know, when the, the Springbok rugby team wins, you know, when we, we all feel we are now South Africans, you know. So there's something about a public event that, that, that brings about this, 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 this great feeling of, of nationalism. And the Romans, they were, they were afraid of this because they knew in the year 164 BC, during a time of great national fervor, a rebellion broke out um, in a period of what we, what we recall today and we recall today as the Maccabean Revolt. In fact, um, uh, uh, about a, a generation after Jesus, there was yet a such rebellion known as the Bar Kokhba revolt. You see, so the Romans were there, they were watching and they were expecting that there might be possibly a rebellion that could break out because they knew that the Jews were waiting for their king. But you see, whenever a king would show that his intent was peaceful, instead of riding into a city, seated on a stallion, which was a beast associated with war. If the king was seated on a donkey, it was a symbol of peace. You see, we talk today about waving the white flag of surrender. When a king would do this, in the ancient world, it was a sign that his intention was peaceful. But here was Jesus then seated on a donkey, which in the modern day mind might, might seem ridiculous. Now, who is this? Is this maybe a madman, you know? Um, if one were to maybe try and do a modern day psychological analysis of Jesus, you know, using one of the manuals of modern day psychology, you know, the DSM-4, for example, you know, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, you know, some have suggested that he was overcome by madness, you know, in which one of the axes of the DSM speaks about people who are delusional. You know, they are paranoid, schizophrenic, with multiple personality disorders of the grandiose type. You know, people 
example might might come into a crowd and say, you know, oh, you know, didn't did you not know I am Napoleon Bonaparte? And was Jesus maybe not such a madman? Some would suggest that he would say that he was the Son of God. But no. The evidence of the Scriptures, the evidence of the New Testament, the evidence of the Gospel is that Jesus, while He was indeed the Son of God, did not behave um, in a deranged or psychopathic or manipulative manner. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, He made it clear to His disciples, don't tell anyone what you have come to understand. Don't tell anyone. And Jesus would refer to Himself simply as the Son of Man. So we don't see in Jesus, you know, kind of cultic leader, you know, making exotic claims about Himself. You know, Jesus is not like a modern day, even prosperity gospel preacher. So if He wasn't a madman, maybe, maybe He was misguided. You know, in fact, even the great Albert Schweitzer, that many of you have heard about, you know, this great missionary doctor, who also had a doctorate in music, wrote a doctorate in, in theology. And the very title of his doctorate in theology, he concluded, well, that maybe, maybe, Jesus was just simply a misguided apocalyptic preacher. But no, Jesus was not misguided. It is very clear from the descriptions, from this parable in action, that everything Jesus did was intentional. That everything Jesus did had a purpose. He gives very clear instructions to His disciples. You know, Jesus is just simply fulfilling the, div the divine providence. Jesus is Jesus Scripture. And so Jesus knew that He was the one that had to fulfill this prophecy. And so, he does it in a way that would communicate to both the religious and to the political leaders of the day. Very subversively, as the crowds gather, as they wave their palm branches, as they lay their clothing, as they would do to a king if they had one. And you can read more about this in Second Kings chapter 9, verse 13, you know, because that's the way in which royal sessions were enacted during this time of great fervor maybe nationalistic fervor for some maybe religious fervor for others during the thing of hosanna to the son of david in comes riding jesus not a warrior on a stallion but a servant on a donkey he is the messiah you know, there's a great irony in this passage, especially verse 10. You know, the people are singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. And that was the truth. But it wasn't the truth for everyone. Because we know it was that same crowd that a few days later shouted, Crucify, crucify. So what then is the take home for us? In 2021, as we hopefully come out of lockdown to, to understand, you know, what is, what is the message on this Palm Sunday? What is it that we can take home with us? See, indeed, 
The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, that this message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But for those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto The Apostle Paul reminds us again in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that we therefore need to be of Christ, that we are His ambassadors in this world, because He is the one who leads us into triumphal procession. You see, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was a simple Jewish celebration which would have been the way in which when a king was being created would be a Jewish triumphal procession. The Romans watching this would have been reminded of their own triumphal processions. You know, a very, very elaborate in which when a general was to be celebrated for, for um, being able to lead the Roman army in great victories, that general would be afforded a very, very special celebration called a triumphal procession, which was a very elaborate affair, following a very specific route through the city of Rome. Preceded within that procession would be musicians, would be people singing, would be people dancing. All of Rome would gather to witness this great spectacle in which um, there would even be depictions of the battles the general um, would have been um, party to and would have um, really led his soldiers through. There would also be prisoners that would be brought into into city and then would be the highlight the general the warrior standing in that carriage wearing a crown of victory being drawn into that city by four stallions the romans would have understood as jesus came in that year was indeed a king but not one that would come and overthrow them by militant means, but one who was intent on being the Prince of Peace. You see, and Jesus actually did overthrow the Roman Empire. Why? Because about 300 years later, the Emperor Constantine came to the realization that even great Rome was no match for the one who came marching into triumph into the city of Jerusalem. Because as he was preparing for battle, the story is told, a sign was given to him, a sign that he understood to be the symbol of Jesus, the sign of the cross. And so what then is the take home for us, for those of us who see ourselves as being faithful? You see, I think the story of the triumphal entry is a reminder to us that salvation comes through suffering. Because we are living in a world that is still 
affected by sin. And that sin can only be dealt with by a Savior. And so, even while we're finding ourselves in this period that we have to sanitize, it's a reminder that we are being sanctified because we look forward to that day that He will come in victory, that He will come in what we remember as and we hope for is the second coming. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 summarizes it for us in this way. As John in the vision looks forward, he says, Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So indeed, even during this time, as our celebrations to many might seem foolish. For us, it is simply an occasion in which just like John, we, we look through all of the celebrations, we look beyond the celebrations, and we look ahead. We keep our eyes, as it were, fixed on the clouds, and we say, even so, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray.